love riding my bike. I love running. I don't care what they think about it. I love it. At that point, when I knew I was going to win, chills just went up and down my entire body. I don't believe there are any good or bad foods. Food is food. I still feel so passionate about getting that record that I'm like, I'm just going to do it. As an athlete, I was like, what's my story or what's your story? What can you learn from it? And what can you teach people? Welcome to the Iron Woman podcast. I'm Haley Chura. I'm joined here by, with, not by, with Alyssa Gadeski, my co-host. Alyssa, I, we've been on a break for two weeks and I have lost control of speaking and grammar, apparently. <laughs> How are you doing? How have the last couple of weeks been for you? I think you've had some big life changes. Yeah. So Haley, we're recording this on August 1st, which is a Monday, which is our normal recover or normal. I apparently can't speak either today. So this is lovely. Um, our normal, it's my normal recovery day in training, but it's also our normal recording day because of that. So, um, I, where was I going with this? Oh yeah. My point being that I can't believe it's August. I have zero idea what happened after the 9th of July, which is when I ended my FKT run in the white mountains here in New Hampshire because the last three weeks have just been a total blur. Um, the week after the FKT Haley, I made a very interesting life choice to schedule our move. We were my boyfriend, Matt and I, we were moving in the week after the FKT. And so we actually bought a house. So it was like a very fun, yay life moment, right. To like finally buy a house. We were going to, we would like love the house obviously because we were buying it. So we're really excited to get in it. And so we actually scheduled it so that closing would be right before he, I forget if I, I think I talked about this on the podcast where Matt had an FKT um, that he did in late June. And then I was doing mine early July. So we were like, okay, we're going to close right before these two big like races happen. And then we will have some family in town for my FKT run. And so we'll dupe our family into helping with some moving activities in that time frame. And then like, I'll be recovering. So we'll have time to move and all of that. Right. Like on paper, it seemed like moving after the FKTs was like good. And honestly, it still was way better than trying to do it before, but I, it like really maxed me out. Um, I have to say, because I was very physically tired, obviously after the run, but like, what I have found more than anything when I do those kinds of efforts is that it's really my brain power. That's like super, super limited in the time after a run like that. And I needed to kind of jump back into work with coaching athletes and like be back for them, get caught up, make sure everyone was going. Cause it's like full on race season. And I didn't want to miss anything there, but then having the brain power to figure out the move in the time after Haley was like very challenging because it was often like, well, Matt had to get back to work. And then we had our family here and I mean, they're just trying to do what we want. So it was a lot of like decisions and questions and things. And my brain was totally maxed out. I think overall we made it through. Okay. We are now fully into the new house. It's very exciting. Um, there's still a lot of boxes to unpack, but, um, yeah, it took that, that first week was really rough. <laughs> and then, um, it's, it really has taken another couple of weeks for me to kind of feel like I'm back to like a square, I don't even want to say square one, but kind of like a normal state of living where, um, you know, I can do my training, my work and like not feel completely overwhelmed every day with like the amount of mental and physical 
um, you know, energy. I need to complete those things. So I'm kind of happy for the change in months because I feel like, okay, now I can put July and all the, you know, the stress and of all of that. And now it's time to like focus on the fun part of moving, like setting up the new house, getting things ready for training. We have a cute little barn that, um, is going to be like for all of our gear and some strength. And like, I'm, we're just really excited to get set up and get a little bit more settled here. Um, we moved over the border. So we're not in New Hampshire anymore. I'm officially a Vermonter, which I'm very excited about. I've always felt a little bit more like a Vermonter than a New Hampshireite, I guess. And um, we have, yeah, at least a few more weeks of summer here in the Northeast before it starts getting cold. Although the nights are already getting pretty chilly. So it feels like fall in some respects here already, which you might have in Bozeman too. But so all good things, all very exciting life things. But yeah, the, I mean, our listeners probably... If you have a coach or if you talk to your training partners, you know, it's always the thing to say, like, don't discount life stress on your body. Um, and that's like a very, very true thing. We, uh, you know, I, I definitely have not been training very much lately because all of the other things I've been doing have definitely needed to be accounted for with the life stress on my body. So, um, so yeah, that's my, that's my spiel. <laughs> yeah. Well, I yeah. mean, yeah, you got, you covered most everything in that, I think. And, um, I, how are the dogs handling the move? I am curious about that. I mean, I know previously you were on a farm, you had a pretty big area for them, but what's, what's the dog situation in Vermont? Yeah. So we did. So we're like, when we were looking at houses, you know, we wanted to try and stay within like ideally 25 minutes of Matt's work for a commute purpose and things like that. And we actually ended up buying something that's more like 30 minutes out because that extra five minutes in this housing market makes a big difference to be able to get just a little bit of land. And so, um, we do have this like nice wooded hillside behind our house and the dogs are loving it. I was actually, um, just this morning trying to do some work and I think they're getting addicted to going out in the woods exploring because Max was like jumping on me and he like nibbles me a little bit to get my attention. And like, then he's like doing his happy dance because he really wants to go out in the woods. And so, um, they're both comfortable enough. I'm comfortable enough now having them both on like beeper collars to go kind of out into the woods and just kind of tromp around, um, and explore Ramona's exploration is much less than Max's, but they are really loving it. And that's really fun to see them kind of get to do that and have that space here because it was, yeah, that was definitely a priority where we were looking. I think Max would be miserable. Ramona would be fine with like a normal size area to kind of walk outside and just like watch birds. Um, but Max definitely needs some, some area to run around in. Oh, uh, well, I'm glad everyone oh. is, uh, adjusting. What? And Haley, just this little tidbit, the, just so to give you the full extent of the steepness of the hill that we go tromp around on, it is going to be a perfect grade for me to train for Barkley. If I were to get back in to a future year of that race, um, it's a super steep, like climb up to actually like a snowmobile trail. So, um, you know, we certainly didn't buy the house for Barkley training, but that was a perk. You know, these steep Hills. Okay. I am curious. I, I was watching the women's tour de France, the tour de France femmes of Zwift just happened last week and loved it. But you know, the steepness of those Hills, I was watching, you know, the last stage where they were finishing on like a 24% grade on gravel. And it was just the most incredible thing 
I've ever seen watching anime Van Vluten ride up that like it was no big deal. And, you know, one of our new sponsors, Hammerhead, makes the crew too, which is a bike computer, but it does tell you like the grade. So you might need to take your crew too. I wonder if it would, <laughs> it would still pick it up if you were like hiking up a hill. I know it's meant mostly for cycling, but you know, when you're going on a steep enough hill, it's, you can't tell the difference between cycling and hiking. I feel like, have you, I'll have you tried that? Try. Like, I'll give it a try. No, what the actual really grade is. Yeah. I'm definitely yeah. going to make sure I have that in my pocket, I guess, as we go up next time, because I would be interested if it knows that. Um, and I too have been watching the tour. Do you think the women there are like having actual data on their computers that they're watching? Like, do they even have their computer? I feel yes. like their bikes don't even, um, like, oh, no, they, I feel like I would just like... have the, like, I would want, I would want something to like assure me that time is passing. Right. But I think I would just have my computer there to collect all my data. And I'm not sure what the key things are I would have on that main screen. Cause that's always a big decision, right. Going into like a race oh. environment, like what you want to be staring at, because I don't know. Do you want to know how hard you're having to go to like ride that? Yes, bus? absolutely. Because I think like, if you look at their bike stem, they have like the course profile, like they know exactly like when they're going to go a little harder, when they're going to attack. And I do think the crew too, it does have that like climber mode. And so I don't know if you've actually been on a big climb when you're on your bike, but it like switches into this climber mode where it kind of will show you what's coming on the hill. And like, if it gets steeper and it will like show you like this part's 2%, but it's going to kick up to 5%. These are the hills I'm on. I'm not on the, uh, the, in the, in the French Alps, but, um, and so so I think it like, you can kind of look and see what's coming and you're like, okay, when it kicks up to 5%, that's when I'm going on the attack. So I think that they've done, you know, I imagine those women and their teams have done a ton of course recon and they know exactly, you know, which bend, which, you know, which jut up in the hill or where it might level off a little bit and where they're going to make a move. Um, I think they know everything. So I don't, think, I, I think I don't know. I, think I would not be a very good that for Barclay. domestique. Yeah. I would not be a very good domestique then because I would be like, Oh, I'm not supposed to just ride. Like when I feel like it's harder to go harder. Like <laughs> I love having the data. I think there's a lot of tactics computer to collect all of that, but I, I just keep watching them and thinking, man, they're riding so hard. Like how could their brains possibly be thinking about too much, but I guess that's why they're good enough to be in the tour de France. They also have so. the radios. They have the radios True. in their ears. I would do so like better with that. I would, yeah. I mean, if someone's yelling at me in my ear to like when to do things, I think I could do that, but I guess, um, yeah, it's been super fun week. I was, yeah, very sad that it was only one week of racing for I the know. women because I we need three weeks. We need three months of it. I think yeah. they probably didn't want to but we talked to Catherine Bertine, you know, I think a year or two, a year ago or something most recently about the work that went into getting this eight day women's tour de France and how hopefully it is just the beginning. And we, and I think that was, you know, when you heard the speeches from Annemiek Van Vluten, from Mariana Voss talking about, you know, acknowledging the work that has gone into making this race happen and hopefully it just being the beginning. And I think if you saw those crowds there, on that finish line. I mean, oh man, there is a demand. People were going nuts. It was awesome. It was so cool to see it. And again, I, the steepest hill I ride around here is like 12.7%. And I just can't 24% and gravel. I was like, what, what is this? That's insane. That's awesome. So congratulations to all those women and to all the women before who, you know, Catherine and Mariana and everyone who, who worked so hard for so many years to make that happen. It was, it was fun to see it come to fruition. 
And if our listeners, if you want to get a Hammerhead crew too and check out the grades you're writing or just see any of the other great data it's collecting with the features on the crew too, you can go to hammerhead.io, use the code IRONMAN, you get a free heart rate monitor with your purchase right now. So uh, it's a great time to maybe invest in that new bike computer and start using all those features and let us know right into our mailbag and tell us what the steepest grade you train on and is right like are you inspired to try some other steep hills after after watching the tour de france films yeah exactly the other great uh piece of i mean we've had so much good like endurance sports tv lately i feel like i don't know if during your move how your uh internet and tv service like transition has happened has gone but we had the the running world championships happened and i you know i loved watching the marathon 10K, 1500, even the the 100 meter dash. I mean, I have no idea how those women move so fast, you know, and just, it's so cool, but um, love that. And the field events. I mean, I think Kara Winger's javelin silver medal was one of the highlights for us here in the US. And um, also the PTO open in Canada that had great coverage. Ashley Gentle taking that win, Paula Finley second. And, um, and it was just, you know, we had, did you get to see any of that coverage? Also Placid, like Placid over in your neck of the woods. I think, you know, Ironman was covering that one as well. And Sarah True, our, uh, if we were writing Sister podcast. crowd favorite from oh, yeah. where I am too. Yeah. So we've had some, I had a couple of local people ask me for Sarah to come on the podcast after that win in Lake Placid, uh, kind of a, I think her, she returned to racing after having her son, uh, at Eagle Man 70.3 in June. I, I think that was the first race back. Right. And then the second yeah. race here was Ironman Lake Placid punched her ticket to Kona. Um, so, you know, all maybe we'll see. So she's undefeated as a mom. I know, right. Like the, yeah, <laughs> that is really exciting, oh. but it, it has felt like with, so I did catch Lake Placid day. I was checking more on the tracker and watching it that way. I wasn't able to be in front of the TV, but I did catch the PTO open women's race. Um, it was really nice. It was like later in the day. Um, and so I was able to watch that coverage and then, yeah, we had the track world championships on every single night, uh, you know, just even in the background, but we, we don't have cable actually at the new house, Haley, we have, um, only fiber internet, which is like the reason we were actually able to move to kind of the middle of rural Vermont was, um, because the fiber internet is here now, which everyone, which is great. And then, but we got YouTube TV. And so I don't know, people can write into our mailbag about this too. If you have other suggestions for me, because this is new to have like not cable internet options, but so far I feel like it's been nice because so much of what we have been wanting to watch is just sports streaming on something. And so far I'm very happy with my YouTube, YouTube TV. It gave us the track every night. Uh, the PTO open was just streamed and Iron Man, I think was streaming Facebook, but it's, I feel like we've come a long way in even just the last year or two of being able to watch triathlon and track events like live or almost live. Right. And it's hopefully other people are watching too, because I wanted to stick around. I'm really enjoying having all of those options. Me too. And then, uh, we, you know, also we had the documentaries for both Utah Kona, St. George and Clash Watkins Glen um, in the past week. So I was, I did do some enjoyment of watching myself on TV. <laughs> I actually, okay. I've only watched a clip of the St. George one because I, one of my friends watched it and then she suggested that maybe I watch it 
I, I am planning to do possibly another Ironman in Tremblant in a few weeks. And so I, um, I, she's like, watch it after Tremblant. Cause I was like, I, I someone sent me a clip of me on the run. I was like, wait, no, they have me on the run. I was like, I've had this fear since my very first Ironman that I would end up in a Kona broadcast being like the agony of defeat photo. Oh. <laughs> I think that might've happened. The like Norman I Sadler still- throwing your bike yeah. on, into the lava fields. One, yes. Yeah. Oh my God. You know, I was like, okay, I'm not really ready. I missed it. I, it was on my birthday. So that's the other thing I turned a year older while we were on break, but I, um, I missed it. Cause I was out on a very long bike ride and I thought it was the next day, but, um, I am still very, very proud of that swim. And I think the race as a whole, I've gotten more proud of as time has gone by, but I am still very, very proud of that swim. And, um, you know, I'm just, it's hard to have like everything go right on the day. And I think I had at least a third of everything go right on the day. <laughs> sometimes a third is a win. So (laughs) it definitely was a win, but I don't, I mean, yeah. So if anyone watched that, but I did watch the clash Watkins Glenn documentary and I loved it. That one, I just thought made me like excited for the sport of triathlon. Like I felt like it was an hour long, um, like advertisement for the sport more than anything. I mean, the race is a part of it. And I was, I thought it was great to be part of it. I thought Shannon Spake, who was the host and is, uh, you know, she comes from her backgrounds like NASCAR and, NFL commentating, but she does have a history in triathlon. She's a triathlete herself. And so I think that that was just really well done. So, you know, congrats to the clash crew and it did highlight a pretty cool part of the country. So if anyone is, is looking for replays of, uh, of people exercising, if you've gone through all the tour and all the track and everything, and you miss those, I mean, they're good anytime, anytime of year. And Haley, I've mentioned now a couple of times opportunities for people to write into our mailbag and give us little tidbits. So you can always do that at ironwomenpodcast at gmail.com. And thanks to our listeners who have been sending in some mailbag items while we've been on break. We now have a few things to kind of tick tick off and we will tackle one of these questions. Haley, are you ready for your first mailbag question in a while? Yeah, I think I'm ready. Um, I'm, I have a, I'm, all my advice at the, at, is ready to be given. <laughs> And so this comes in from Katie Tobin. Katie is like a OG Iron Women podcast listener. So thanks, Katie, for still listening and writing in with your questions. And she wants to know when we travel to races solo, how do we avoid getting lonely? Or like maybe she was wondering if we just always know people where we're going because of the pro scene. Do we have travel rituals that make us feel better? I love this question. Um, I'm getting ready to travel to internationally for the first time in many, well, not many years, many months and a couple of years, I think. So (laughs) it has been a many a blue moon or something. So, um, I have been thinking about that and I will be traveling alone, but then meeting people there. Cause it's like, I'm going for an adventure race. So it's a team. And so that part of it won't be as lonely, but, um, you know, it did make me reflect on like all of the racing I have done through the years, Haley, and traveling solo to all of these places and kind of what was it that I did? Because I, I can see how when you do it frequently, it gets to feeling lonely. Um, and so I'm, I was, I have been reflecting about the things that make me not feel lonely. And so one of those is I always spend time ahead of time, like, this is like probably really nerdy, but like writing a to-do list because 
I feel like when I travel and I'm out of the house and I don't have the normal house life of things keeping me constantly busy, like trips like that are a good time. Like while you're on the plane, while you're in airports, while you're like sitting in your Airbnb somewhere, you know, just twiddling your thumbs because you're not allowed to go explore because it's the day before the race and you have to stay off your feet, right? Like it's a good time to knock out like a bunch of computer projects or work projects or things that you have been like, oh, I would love to be doing that, but I need to like research this for some reason, right? So I actually write down for myself, like a to-do list of things I would love to get accomplished and none of it's high stakes, you know, but like if I do have the time, which I normally do traveling alone, cause I'm not having a packed schedule as much. Um, like that way you kind of have those things to kind of tick off. And I, I often use traveling to get ahead in work. So I don't know. What do you, what about you, Haley? What are some rituals? <laughs> I'm a little less productive. Um, <laughs> I do get lonely and I do think that there's certain times where I've definitely been in situations where I'm at a race and I'm like, what am I doing with my life? What all the decisions that have left me to hear. And I do think that, so sometimes it can look like, oh, it's all like rainbows and butterflies and easy. And it's not like, even I can think of like when I went to Chile earlier this year and I was in the airport in Santiago and I'd missed two flights and I was so sweaty because I had like run with my, all my bags trying to like make it <laughs> gate and I didn't make it. So I'm like so sweaty. I don't speak Spanish, I'm, like trying to figure out what I'm supposed to do, how I'm ever going to get there. And in those moments, it's very hard, but I try to remind myself that I've had these really hard moments, these very sweaty uncomfortable moments in the past. And I've like gotten through them and I've honestly like learned and grown a lot. And it's gotten me to the point where I'm like, okay, I can handle this. Like, I'm like, you can handle this. You can, you can get through it. So that's not as much being, about being lonely, but just like in over my head sometimes, um, as far as like routines and like, I, there are certain movies that I will like download that kind of helped me feel better about things. Um, one of them is The Secret Life of Walter Mitty. I love that movie. And I love like the message of just like how he goes like all these crazy places. Like he went to Iceland, he went to Greenland. He goes to like, you know, and it seems like he's nuts, like trying to, I don't, I'm just assuming it's new. He's been out for a while. So I assume everyone has seen it, but um, you know, spending so much money. I mean, he's balancing his checkbook and it's like down to zero or like, it's like, you know, you see it going down and down, which again, it's another thing I can relate to sometimes <laughs> when I'm like, why am I spending so much money to just be sweaty, pulling my bike bag across these cobblestones, <laughs> you know, like that kind of thing. Um, and I think that movie kind of puts me at ease with just, okay, this is about the adventure. This is about the life experience. And right now, is this the best moment of your life? No, but good things come out of this. Like I, I have met some really cool people. So I do think that's something that when I go to a race alone, I'm more likely to talk to other people who are there for the race or just like, you know, sometimes you need help. And so you have to ask for help. And I've ended up meeting some of my, you know, just close friends and people I keep in touch with still, because I had to get out of my comfort zone. I had to maybe talk to someone, ask where a pool is. I had to, to swim with someone or ride with someone, or, you know, just uh, sit at the pro meeting with someone I didn't know. And I got to talking and they turned out to be really cool. And so I think that those are also the things that kind of get you out of your comfort zone, challenge yourself to like, go to a new restaurant and, you know, bring a book if you're worried about it, but actually it's not that weird. And I think that's the other thing. A lot of these times I feel very awkward, very awkward. And I remind myself that it's like very normal. Everyone feels awkward and it's okay. And you know, the only way to make it not feel awkward is just to keep moving forward and eventually it becomes somewhat normal. 
Yeah. I, I always used to feel awkward going out and eating and like doing those things by myself, but I also didn't want to like, just always get takeout and eat in the like tiny place that I had reserved or whatever. Right. So, but like, yeah, you just have to, there's always people eating out alone and you just have to like kind of fake it till you make it and own it and just kind of put on that like confidence jacket and just go do it. And then I think it's, it's it's like going to see movies by yourself. Like it's not as weird once you start doing it more. Haley, I don't know if you also did a lot of homestays, but I did a lot of homestays early in my pro career. And that's obviously a perk for pros at certain races and certain communities. But I do wonder now if with the internet and like Facebook and everything, all of the access you have to things, if you could in advance, like reach out to the local like run group or something like that, like just do a little research to see if they have regular, you know, running or is the tri club at that venue doing like a pre-race something, right? Like shoot them an email. Even if you just email and ask for tips on where to swim or where to do X or Y before the race, like maybe they will let you in or maybe they will offer to meet you. Like those communities are often really, really welcoming. Um, a lot of the homestays were found because of the local tri groups, like being asked to house the pro athletes. And so they did, like, I got to go to some of those activities with them and that definitely helped the loneliness factor. Um, and so I feel like if you are traveling, there's, you know, and like when we have group runs in the area, um, you know, if it's a Wednesday and you know, there's a group run happening at like this time on a Wednesday at this place, like just go and introduce yourself. And like Haley said, you might meet some really good friends. Yeah. And worst case, hopefully you have good Wi-Fi access and you can like FaceTime with someone back home, <laughs> you know, which can also be, if you do bring your meal back, you know, that can be kind of fun to just have like a virtual, virtual dinner partner or just, you know, hangout partner, movie partner. I think there's some good things about the internet, but this does kind of lead into our, our, our interview this week, because this week we're talking with chief am who is an accomplished age group triathlete, but she also has a history of uh, remote work for, in all different places while training. And so, well, we kind of touch on this a little bit with Chi. So hopefully Katie can also listen to, to Chi's interview and get a little bit of insight into how she was able to integrate into new communities when she's training and trying to figure out where to swim, where to ride, um, and probably where to get a good coffee. Yes, exactly. So I can't wait to... Uh, well, first let's wrap up the mailbag. So if, if other people have travel questions or just want to talk to us about, um, life and or training and or racing questions, send them to ironwomenpodcast at gmail.com. And are we, do we need to set up Chi more than that, Haley? Do we want to talk? I know. I that? just, I guess I just like, I did like a fake little intro there, but <laughs> as I mentioned, so she does more, <laughs> she does more than actually than, um, than <laughs> work remotely. <laughs> She's actually a very, like I said, accomplished age group triathlete. She's currently training for the Ironman World Championships in Hawaii. She's also a UX designer at Google. She was a recipient of the prestigious Google.com fellowship in which she worked with the Morehouse School of Medicine. She helped create an, a health equity tracker that was has been very useful during the COVID pandemic. She's also the creator of the Instagram account at fit underscore fam, which earlier this year, Alyssa had more than 130,000 followers. And guess what she did with that in Instagram account? She decided to stop posting. She gave it all up. 130,000 followers had grown it that much and she gave it all up. So we wanted to talk to her about, you know, why, why she stopped posting on social media reasons behind that. And 
about her training and her remote work and everything else she has going on. So we'll have that conversation with Chief Am right after the break. Hi, Chi. Welcome to the Iron Women podcast. Hi, it's so good to be here. So I was an avid follower of your Instagram account, which is at FitFam and or was at FitFam. We'll talk more about that later. But I was always really interested in following your travels as you worked and you trained remotely from some really cool locations over the past couple of years. So I am curious, where are you right now? <laughs> yeah, that's a great question. Um, I'm in Oakland, California right now. So Oakland isn't necessarily the most exotic location. Is that where you, you normally would be? Or like, are you here for a purpose, I guess, for a short stint? Yeah, I, I was in San Francisco um, before my travels. And then we decided to come back to the Bay. And Oakland is kind of where we ended up. And yeah, I've been really digging it. Oakland is awesome. And I could see us, you know, just chilling here for a bit. <laughs> And what about like in your past travels, I guess, over the, the last time, what would you, to give our listeners who might not have followed you through this time, what would you have called your most exotic remote work and training location that you got to utilize? <laughs> yeah, I think um, definitely Hawaii was the, the cream of the crop, I should say. It, it was really awesome being able to uh, be on the big island um, and meet a bunch of other women who are also training for tries on the big island, which was incredible. Um, so yeah, so that's probably my favorite for sure. <laughs> and so hopefully my internet is catching up enough that uh, that my questions come through here. But I am curious, when you're in a new location, how do you discover the best places to train or people to train with? Are you actively reaching out to groups? Yeah, I think that's a great question. I do a whole bunch of uh, just like checking out Strava. So I'll just check out like if they have any recommended routes on Strava. You can like make your own routes now on Strava, which is you know, sometimes hit or miss because you don't know what's going on in the area. Um, and then I think I just asked friends if they knew anyone in the areas that I'd be with. Um, and then more often than not, they'd send me some club that would have an Instagram. And then, you know, I'd follow them for a bit to see kind of what their schedule is like, and then um, just choose one of the days to kind of join in and see uh, how it went. Did you ever have times when you were in over your head, maybe with training partners you sought out or like, <laughs> were like, oh, this is not what I expected at all? Yeah, I feel like you can't, you should not go to like any of these training um, sessions with like a, a explicit goal. You just kind of go in to like meet someone, have it be social. And then if you find someone that you really jive with, then I would like ask that person, like maybe one and one to go for a ride or a run together. Um, but yeah, the first time can't have any expectations because it most certainly will not <laughs> probably be blown out of the water for sure. I love, I love that advice. That's really good advice for people looking to find people to train with on the, on the move. But um, Chi, you grew up as a competitive swimmer in San Diego. So you swam collegiately also at Washington University in St. Louis. So what was your transition like from college swimming to triathlon? Were you, you know, was that pretty seamless and quick for you or did you take a break in between? How did, how did that go? Yeah, that's a great question. Um, I think after college swimming ended, I, I took a good couple of months off, you know, I was feeling super burnt out, <laughs> just, uh, just training from all that training and stuff. And then 
um, after a few months, I kind of just found myself very like lost. It's like, oh my gosh, I don't really know how to work out. If like a coach and a team isn't like yelling at me to do something. And so I kind of started going into the gym to just try to see like, maybe I should try to lift. Um, and then eventually I started signing up for half marathons and marathons, which I never thought as a swimmer I would ever do. That's just like not <laughs> land sports or like dry land as we would call it. It's like a totally different world. Um, and then after that, you know, if you can swim and you can run, someone will eventually ask you like, why don't you bike too? And then you should do a triathlon. And so um, I think uh, at one point, a bunch of my former college swim, swim mates and I all decided to sign up for our first triathlon, which was an Ironman. Um, and that was just, yeah, that was definitely us being very ambitious and a little bit arrogant and a little bit excited about like what a triathlon was. We had no idea what we were doing for sure. No idea. And so, yeah, we just signed up for an Ironman and then we all did that together. And that was my first triathlon. <laughs> and so looking back at that first triathlon, how do you feel your path into the sport would you suggest other people, you know, get peer pressured by some of their college friends into doing a full iron distance just as their very first race? Is, or is that your style? Like, do you feel like that was the appropriate path for you? I think um, I just had no idea what an Ironman was. I was just like so unaware of how difficult it is. So I would zero out of 10 recommend that path for people trying to get into triathlons. Like, please do not do that. Um, <laughs> it was, yeah, it was just like very foolish of me. So definitely um, ease into it if you want like do a much more reasonable distance like a sprint or Olympic. Um, and yeah, <laughs> probably don't do the full. <laughs> how did the first race go? Yeah, it was, um, <laughs> it was awesome and awful, you know, <laughs> it was, um, it was, that's probably what people say, whether or not they're like fully prepared or not. Yeah. So I feel like that's a good thing. actually. Yeah. It, it was definitely the hardest thing I've ever done. I cried multiple times, you know, like didn't think I was going to finish. And then once you finish your brain, it just like totally wipes like all the pain that you just went through and was like, yeah, that was amazing. Keep going. <laughs> uh, but yeah, it was definitely extremely challenging. And uh, after that, honestly, I had to take a break from triathlons for a few years. And so that was my beginning and then also a, a break for me. <laughs> And so it seems like you are someone who thrives on doing a lot of different things kind of all at once and balancing a lot of projects. So in recent years, you were working as a user experience designer on a google.org fellowship, mm -hmm. studying for a master's degree in public health, managing a huge social media following, training for triathlon, and presumably, you know, having some time for family and friends too. So is that like, you know, how you thrive by having a variety of activities going on at one time? That's a great question. Um, actually, I think it was too much, which is why I've definitely scaled back uh, since then. Uh, there was like a one to two year period where I was trying to do all of that and really trying to, you know, um, be like peak efficient and like really maximize all the things and like just doing all these different parts of um, activities that I really loved, but uh, actually, I, I just found that it was too much. I felt like I was starting to do everything quite poorly, and so uh, that was like 
yeah, deciding to walk back some of those activities has been something that I've been trying to do over the last year, uh, just so that I can like focus on like one to two things and not burn myself out. Um, so yeah, so I've like paused my master's program for a bit. Um, still have to work, you know, got to pay the bills. <laughs> um, and I'm training for a triathlon this year, but I've uh, kind of set aside a, a bunch of other things as well. And with triathlon, I think a lot of people use that within their busy lives as their like me time, right? And mm-hmm. that's that's kind of the you know reasoning that everyone tells themselves. But at the same time, I think this this scale probably tips when we talk about like the Ironman distance and training for that, right? We're so where are you now? Are you, you know, fully Ironman focused with that? Or did you realize like, Hey, maybe that distance isn't fitting into my life with like the things I also am juggling. Yeah. I think personally, I really enjoy the half Ironman distance. I think it's like the perfect amount of training and the race is like (laughs) the perfect amount for me, just a mid distance gal. Um, but I am trying training for a full this year. And I think before it hasn't really picked up yet. I'm still like at the beginning of the whole training cycle where things can be a little bit more chill. And so I think uh, I would really like to remember that going forward of like having a, a healthy balance of really focusing and trying to do these sessions like with quality and um, individually, uh, but trying to build in more times where there are like social rides or social runs where I can, you know, hang out with people who are not just like training for a triathlon. Um, just to remind myself that like, um, at the end of the day, triathlon is just one part of my life. And, you know, if I do well in it, that's awesome. If I don't do well in it, that doesn't define me as a person. Um, but just, yeah, just trying to take that pressure off of myself too. And she, you, I think this full Ironman that you're training for is the Ironman world championships in Kona. So (laughs) I am really curious about, you know, this stepping back and feeling this burnout because, it seems from an outsider perspective that you were incredibly successful. You qualified for Kona. You, um, you know, you had more than 130,000 Instagram followers. It, and on Instagram, you know, your life looked pretty good. You're working for Google. I mean, how do you, how was that like experience just because it looked like everything was going so, so well to, <laughs> to any bystander? Yeah, well, appearances can be deceiving, you know. <laughs> I feel like that's one of the reasons why I had such a trouble with Instagram, honestly, is just like how to show all the nuances of my life. Um, and yeah, like how to show that my partner was the one who was like cooking and cleaning most days so that I could like get all of my homework done. And I was just like on the verge of like yelling at him to be like, where's my food? I'm hungry, you know? <laughs> Like, it's hard to show that in an Instagram post, but that's like really what a, a lot of it was just like, there's just so much going on. It was putting a lot of stress on myself and my relationships. And at the end of the day, I just had to, you know, step back and ask like, is this realistic for me? No. And then what am I doing? Um, like, I don't want to perpetuate like that rosy uh, outside to people too. So um, I don't know if that answered your question, honestly. <laughs> Well, and I am curious about the, from the triathlon perspective, as you went from this newbie at Ironman Wisconsin, you know, you, you were just kind of there to have a good time to compete, to be with your friends to someone who has qualified for Kona. I mean, that's a quite different experience. Has your relationship with 
training and how it fits into your daily life changed as you presumably became more competitive? I mean, are, is that, are you more competitive or are you just having fun and you're faster? <laughs> I think, um, I think I was so competitive in college swimming that nothing compares to that <laughs> phase of my life. Like that singular focus that I had for almost a decade of my life being like a high school and collegiate swimmer. So honestly, being an age group triathlete seems relatively more chill than that. Um, so <laughs> um, I think I've just gotten better at biking, to be honest, just more time. I've just been able to put in more hours and, you know, they say 10,000 hours makes you an expert. So maybe I'm like hour 4,000 or something, but I just think, yeah, my, my biking has gotten better. <laughs> Have you worked with a coach throughout your triathlon like career, I guess, or do you self-coach? Um, I have mostly self-coached. I did work with a coach briefly last year, which was really great. She taught me a lot about consistency and um, not kind of like shooting for the stars every weekend, you know, just like the slowly build and ramping up and um, every workout kind of stacks together into like a really cohesive pyramid of um uh, of effort. And so that was really awesome because I am notorious for just like ping ponging up and down. Like I get too excited, I go do a thing and then I'm like injured or too tired to like consistently keep going. And so she definitely really helped to bring me in and teach me, <laughs> teach me consistency. And she, we've kind of alluded to your Instagram account now a couple of times. Um, and so earlier this year, your Instagram account had more than 130,000 followers. So do you think, I guess, you know, first question would be is, do you think there's a correlation between the growth of your fitness and health related social media presence and your own athletic performance? Oh, that's an interesting question. Like as, as the account grew, grew, did I become a better athlete? Or do you think like people were recognizing that you were, you know, getting, stronger, fitter, faster. And that was like, you know, as a better triathlete, that was kind of attracting more people to be watching you. Yeah, that's interesting. I feel like, well, actually, I think my account mostly attracted people from the beginning because of like nutrition and weightlifting, actually. And I feel like actually, as I transitioned to more doing triathlon and like endurance sports, people were like, oh, that's interesting. Like, I guess I'll stick around and see <laughs> what she's doing. Um, so yeah, I'm not sure. I'm not sure. How did you like, what, how did you focus on growing that account? Did you, was it consistency just like in training for, for a triathlon? Was it just consistent posting, consistent messaging? Um, I mean, cause that's a lot of followers. Yeah, I think it was probably a combination of luck. Uh, consistency and just having like a pretty targeted message or like thing that you're trying to get out into the world. And so I feel like I, I lucked out because I, I was on the platform posting about stuff health related before it really became like a really big, like marketing engine, like before Instagram, before it was just like a place where you posted like pictures, you know, <laughs> um, hashtags were barely a thing. And so I feel like I was just there doing stuff about my own personal journey of health and fitness. And then as the platform kind of evolved and took off and like became much more of like uh, a place to like market and bring out messaging, um, I think my account just kind of like was able to ride the waves up. Um, and yeah, it was a lot of 
<laughs> at one point I had this job that I uh, was kind of bored at at work. So I would spend time doing my Instagram posts, like making Instagram posts at work. And so that was probably like the period of the biggest growth of my account. It's just like, I had a lot of time to make posts and like do research and um, try to make the posts as informational as possible. Um, but yeah, that took a lot of time. And then eventually I got a new job, so I couldn't <laughs> dedicate as much time to that as I previously had. And a few months ago, you decided to delete your Instagram account. You kind of alluded to why, but can you tell us about the whole process? Yeah. Um, yeah, that's a great question. Um, it took me, it probably took me close to three years to get the guts to delete it. Um, I think my partner and I have been dating for two and a half years and the whole time he has been like, I thought you were like on the verge of deleting your Instagram account. Um, so I mean, cause like we live in a world where, you know, having a big Instagram account is successful. Like having more followers is good, like more is better, growth is good, right? And so it's really hard to kind of set that aside and uh, figure out like, is this really serving me? Is this like what I actually want to spend my time doing? And do I believe that I'm making an impact or a change? And so it took me a long time to come to terms with answering those questions honestly with myself. And at the end of the day, I just yeah, I just had to be honest with myself. I, I don't enjoy like the actual things you have to do to grow an account, which is like take pictures, edit, post consistently, like those tasks. I don't like doing that. Um, I don't like how Instagram is just like this little snapshot or a little highlight reel. And it really, um, it really deletes a lot of the nuance that we need as human beings to just like understand and um, see context. And I just, yeah, I just like didn't want to, I just found myself spending too much time in this like online world and not as investing as much in a community around me. And so all of those kind of led me to just like realize that I needed to shut down the account. It took me a long time to get there, like probably three years. And then one day I just woke up and was like, okay, there's never a good time. So I just literally wrote the post and then <laughs> just like uploaded it. And I didn't realize that it was like April Fool's Day. So a lot, bunch of people <laughs> asked me, I was like, this is a joke. And I was like, oh no. <laughs> but yeah, so that was, that was the whole shebang. It was, it was, um, it was really hard. It was like breaking up with something that was the most consistent part of my life for almost seven, like over seven years. Um, and then on the last day, it's like, you're, you're like in this toxic job and you like put in your notice. And then on the last day of work, all your coworkers that you've never talked to come out and say like really nice things to you. <laughs> and then you're like, oh my gosh, have I made a mistake? I don't know, is this right for me? And yeah, so that, it was a very emotional goodbye, but I just had to remind myself like, uh, if I'm being honest, my heart wasn't in it and I just had to let it go, which was very hard. <laughs> and I've never deleted an Instagram account. My measly like five or 6,000 followers will be stuck with me, I guess for now, but is there, there's no going back, right? Like, you know, is there a undo button on this once you do it? Oh, I actually, it's not deleted. It's just like, I just said goodbye. And I might, I think I turned it to private so that okay. more people can't follow, but it, <laughs> it was more or less like a very public journal of mine <laughs> for seven years. And so uh, even for myself to like go back and kind of remind myself of where I've been and 
um, the things that I was thinking is kind of nice. Um, so yeah, I haven't brought myself to delete it, but I have uh, just said that I'm no longer adding to this account. And you kind of like, you know, alluded to it feeling like a, it was a job, you know, um, mm -hmm. and you know, I imagine that there was also some income potential with such a large social media presence and stuff like that. So did it feel like you were like losing one of your, your jobs in a sense? And like, it was just kind of that, like, ha I mean, I'm picturing myself doing this and I'm like, how do you break the cycle of reaching for your phone to be doing that all the time? You know, like, did you have to think that mm -hmm. through and were there things that you were doing to kind of like help separate that? Yeah. Um, yes, it was definitely hard to also say goodbye to this income stream too. Um, that was definitely another reason why I kept holding on. And, um, you know, it's always so exciting to see a new contract land in your inbox or like a new opportunity to like collaborate. And so that was hard. I definitely strung myself a lot longer than I should have. Um, but after I decided no more, um, I had to delete the app from my phone. Um, it's still gone. I don't have Instagram on my phone anymore. If I do want to see what my friends are up to, I do use the Chrome tab or like Google Chrome and it's a terrible experience. So it's just so bad that I just look at what my friends are saying and then I get off. Cause like, you can't like, <laughs> add, you can't really do much on the, on the Chrome experience, which is nice. Um, but yeah, like, I feel like one of the things that I, it sounds so silly to say, but one of the biggest things I noticed afterwards was when my partner and I would go out and about, I would like have this reflex to take photos of just like what's going on, documenting. And for like the first week, I was like, okay, what am I taking? What's the point of photos anymore? Like, <laughs> this is garbage. Like, what am I doing? Um, obviously, I can still take photos to send to like my family or like to look back on myself but it was like a real visceral of like what's the point of this anymore um and it was a strange way for me to be in the world where i didn't feel like the need to have to document this just in case i needed content later you know um so that's been actually really nice to experience along with uh being on instagram less it sounds like you still have some connections with people but have you kind of culled back some of those online relationships that had maybe developed over the years and focused more on in-person relationships? Yeah, um, I have met some incredible women on Instagram. So shout out to Instagram for that. Like, I mean, you guys are like through Instagram, I've met a bunch of people. So I was very cognizant about trying to move those relationships into like texting, which feels slightly more real world than Instagram. Um, but other than that, yeah, I've been trying to just hang out with more people um, here in the Bay, in Oakland. It's been really wonderful to also be more moored and stationary. It's really hard to develop relationships when you're traveling all the time, at least for me it is. So um, that's also been just like a really nice change of pace to be here in Oakland and just hanging out with peeps. And during that time, you were really open, you know, with discussing very personal topics like your body image, intimate relationships, mental health, like all of that went into, you know, you said it was like a daily journal, right? So, you <laughs> yeah. know, are you journaling like privately now or do you, are you just enjoying the privacy and anonymity and, and, and anonymity is the right word I'm going for? That's harder to say out loud than I thought. Um, since you've, you know, made the account private, like is that... Um, you know, are you struggling not to be shared? Like, is it weird, I guess, not to be sharing so much? Yeah, no, I, 
<laughs> now I'm, I'm really enjoying the privacy. I'm like, oh, sometimes I find it a little strange that I shared so much. Like just thinking back, I'm like, wow, I really shared that with everyone. Um, but that's okay, you know, uh, I don't regret it because at, at various points, like lots of people connected and we all connect to the same stories because we're all humans and we're all going through the same crap. <laughs> um, but it's been it's been nice to just be a little more private. My partner has been jazzed too. He's like, yeah, like this is nice. <laughs> um, and uh, yeah, I still journal, but just like privately now. Um, but I think the interesting thing that I kind of miss about Instagram as a means to journal is that it was also like a form of writing and creativity for me like i had to edit posts and like make sure that they um were like resonating with people when they read it so i kind of miss like that kind of editorial creativity um and just like being able to write and process through feelings um so yeah i, I can still do that for myself but it's it's like a little bit not the same like obviously no pressure because only i'm gonna read it later <laughs> Chi, you seem quite fearless in making career moves, geographical moves, trying new sports, even spending years building something and then walking away. Do you have advice for anyone who might be considering a life transition right now? Oh, yes. Well, one, they're hard. So be gentle with yourself. It, it can feel like very overwhelming. And um, I think just like being gentle and just like remembering to celebrate the small wins. Cause if you just look at the bigger picture, if you're going through a big transition and you're just like, I'm here, but I need to get to point B and I have no idea how I'm gonna get from A to B. Like, you don't have to figure that out right now. Um, you can just look at like the, the small step that's right in front of you. Um, and just, yeah, just like remember to celebrate your small wins. And then the second one is everyone's faking it till they make it, like everyone is kind of, uh, trying to figure it out as well. And I think um, just like remembering that shared humanity that we all have and just like remembering that no one is an expert in everything um, is is a good way to just remind yourself that you are an expert in something. Um, that's like what makes you you. And so you you should focus on bringing that like special special sauce to like whatever you're trying to transition into because that's that's something that's super unique that hasn't previously been in that space. Well, Chi, thank you so much for coming on the show today. We really appreciate talking to you. Thank you for putting up with my uh, internet lag, which is um, always, always exciting. This is the wonderful uh, internet infrastructure in Bozeman, Montana. So maybe don't plan a training camp here if you need to be working on uh, UX for Google. Or maybe get some, uh, get some like fiber put in in Bozeman. But uh, anyway, thank you so much. And I think this is a really, very interesting perspective on, on social media and sport and yeah. mental health. And, but we're also going to be like very much cheering for you as you prep for Kona. So I think that's uh, very exciting. I mean, in, in real life, you know, we'll be there. Like we'll, we'll make sure we like get some people out there cheering for you in real life. Yeah, since uh, We you. know that is like where you exist in your best way. <laughs> awesome well it was so so great to meet you both and yeah thank you so much for having me I'm, I'm honored honestly Alyssa do you ever want to just quit Instagram sometimes I do well you know I'm I never feel like I need to just like get rid of it all together but some days it, it does certainly feel like a chore but, um, and this is not cheese level, but I will say that after my recent FKT Haley I gained this is actually probably 
I don't pay a lot of attention to like numbers and things on there, but I gained 300 new followers after, uh, while my brain has been mush in the last three weeks since I did that run, which is like a big boost. So, um, you know, it's no 130,000 followers, but 300 is a lot for me. So I feel like I shouldn't give up just yet because I'm, I think I'm still on my upward trajectory. Cause you have like 300 new potential friends, maybe. Yeah. Um, I struggle a lot. I think I said this during the interview, but I do, I struggle a lot with posting and everything, but I have met some really cool people off of Instagram and social media. And so I don't, I don't know. I mean, I'm, and I'm, I'm also quite bad about responding to messages. I try hard, but I, I'm anyone who has ever seen my phone knows I'm bad at all like text messages, DMS. Um, I have not checked my Facebook messages in years. So if you've messaged me on there, sorry. Uh, you know, emails a little iffy too. It's just like, I don't know what's happened to me in recent years. I think there's like too many ways to get in touch with me. And so I just like block them all out. And I'm like, yeah, they'll come to my door. That's probably what's going to ha start happening. <laughs> Something like, why didn't you answer my Facebook message from 2019? <laughs> but yeah, I don't know. I, I definitely struggle a little bit, but I... I don't know if I can go to like the browser method that she used oh. like really made it. So she only logs on when she's like on her browser, like on the desktop computer. Sometimes but, um, I do that, but then I just would click over to the tab anyway. So I don't know. I've tried different things. I definitely have the limit set up on my phone so that I'm not like set up to mindlessly scroll. And that has inspired me. I gave myself a 45 minute every day. And if I, it's in the beginning, I was hitting that all the time. And then now it's actually very rare. I hit the limit. So that does make me feel good about that, that I've like probably gotten the addiction that it is under control a little bit, but, um, it, it, it inspires me to go on and like treat it more like work and like get my post up kind of, you know, give a little run through of things and be done with it. But it's yeah. What a time we live in. <laughs> yeah, I know. And then they, okay. Here's the other messages, how it has like the hidden messages and all that. If you like, you don't follow the person and then I'll look at it. I'm like, Oh, you wrote Oops. me a very nice message. Yeah. Like, oh, I like, I'm so sorry. It was like hidden for some reason that bothers me too. Or just like how the algorithm works. And I'm like, quit showing me this person I hate. And then I, then I'm like, I, I like blocker. I just, I, I think sometimes uh, I just report it as like, okay. Yeah. Like I don't put the thing that they're posting inappropriate content, but there's like another option you can do. That's like, I don't show me this. And I think that's because I mean, sometimes it's people I don't even follow. Yeah. And I'm like, why is this? And so I know that there have been, there's been a lot of talk about the Instagram algorithm recently. So I know I'm not the only one here I'm way behind the line of like Kylie Jenner and other people who are posting about that. But um, anyway, interesting, interesting conversation. We do thank Chi for coming on and sharing so much about her, you know, her own journey with social media. And we wish her the best in her preparation for the Ironman World Championships. And Alyssa, I wish you the best in your unpacking adventure journey. <laughs> thank you. And we will have to chat more about this next week. I'm excited to hear that you have Tremblant as a maybe in your future. So we'll let you go. I'm sure looking at my watch, you've got a uh, at least 10 days or so of some big training ahead of you if you're jumping into that one. So I, yeah, we'll talk to you about that next week, see how that's going. And um, I guess that's it for, for this week. Talk to you later. Hi, Alyssa. You have been listening to the Iron Women podcast hosted by Haley Chura and Alyssa Gadeski. Iron Woman is a production of Feisty Media and is edited by Amelia Perry and produced by Ella Natitian. 
Head to livefeisty.com to find more podcasts, events, stories, and fresh perspectives. Thanks for listening.